1: I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, uh, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. Also from 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera, now airing its sixth season on Travel Channel, Discovery Plus, and the Max streaming service. And I am recording this intro from a hotel room, the Dinosaur Inn Hotel in Vernal, Utah. I'm here at the Phenomicon Paranormal Event, and so far it just seems like a lot of fun. It's got a lot of folks from expedition bigfoot such as ronnie leblanc and russell accord and maria mayor and the folks from the skinwalker ranch show so we've got a lot of alien cryptid bigfoot representation as well as the ghosty stuff here so i'll, I'll report back on how the rest of the weekend goes but yes recording from a cavernous hotel room so that might be account for some of the audio echoes that you're picking up but before we get to this week's guest I want to share a couple fan submitted stories because I'm kind of behind on that and I've been getting a lot of them from you guys so let's go ahead and dive into that first up comes a letter from my own brother Adam and I happen to really enjoy this because I have never heard it before even though we're brothers and he wrote in with the story rather than just texting or calling me which seems like that would have been easier so here we go here's a story a spooky story from my brother adam sagers about 25 years ago i was dating a gal and her sister lived out near zellwood florida she and i took trails through the orange groves on a four-wheeler and somehow we ended up in a cemetery that was a few hundred years old according to the dates on the headstones. As we walked through the cemetery looking at headstones, we kept hearing what sounded like chattering amongst people, and we heard kids laughing. We assumed it was probably a nearby burial service, either one that was commencing or ending. As we kept hearing this, we hopped back on the four-wheeler to find the entrance to the cemetery. We came across a huge drop in the ground about 40 feet deep. Looking over the edge we could clearly see the corners of about four coffins sticking out of the side of the earth. This was apparently due to storms that had washed out the area. We then came across a recent mound of burial dirt that was obviously a child's grave due to the balloons that were still inflated and floating around with stuffed animals. This creeped us out because it was such a fresh grave in such an old cemetery. We hop back on the four-wheeler with the intent of finding the entrance to this cemetery and we do find this big gate that was padlocked with a chain almost seemingly as old as the cemetery itself, and this chain had not been unlocked in quite some time. This was obviously the entrance to this cemetery. And once we confirmed this fact, and we realized there was nobody else around, and yet we still heard plenty of talking and laughing throughout the cemetery. My hair stood up and I told my girlfriend to hang on as I goosed it back through the orange groves. After telling my oldest brother about this he and his wife went there and took many photos that revealed pretty unexplainable things in the pics. I love it this is uh this is from my brother Adam Sagers I love this story because I didn't know about it it's a little piece of family history and I'm just now finding out about it. So this is great stuff. Also, Adam, if you're listening to this, you know you can call me or text me with creepy stories. The next story comes from John DeSpirito, who wrote in with a tale that is classic, but also quite creepy. Let's hear it from John. When I was about 12 years old, my friend and I started using a Ouija board in his room. The instructions say to call on a spirit's name, so, I said the name of my recently deceased grandfather, Atilio Spirito. The moment I did, the blinds that were pulled down in my friend's room, which none of us touched or came near, suddenly snapped up and spun on its rod. We were so scared out of our wits that we ran out of the room and into his parents' bedroom and jumped into their bed with them. And they had a pretty good laugh at our expense. We all felt pretty silly eventually, and that would have been the end of it, except only a few days later, I had an experience in my bed while sleeping, but not quite sleeping, that I never forgot. I awoke in the middle of the night, but what I was seeing was the mirror image of my bedroom. I had a clock with a red digital display and could see the numbers were backwards, along with everything else. Next... I felt a breath on the back of my neck and a clawed hand, or a, or a hand with long, uncut fingernails, that was running through the hair on the top of my head towards my forehead. Being raised in Catholic school for eight years, I let out a call for Jesus or God to help me, and suddenly everything snapped back into normal reality. I was completely shaken. I've read lots about sleep paralysis since then, but this this felt like something more. It's fair to say I was half awake when it happened, but in that moment, I felt fully awake. It's really hard to explain. It felt like awake, but somewhere else. And that's the tale from John. And again, kind of classic, very familiar tropes for people that keep up on these kinds of stories, and yet very creepy and I actually think the fact that these stories are repeated these tropes are repeated so often means that there must be something to them what did you think about these stories from both John and my brother Adam and do you have your own stories you'd like to share remember send them in to talkingstrange at denofgeek.com you can write those stories up or even record yourself telling the story and I will share these in a future episode okay let's get to the interview for this week Opening September 8th, New Line Cinemas brings you the horror-thriller The Nun 2, which is the next chapter in the story of The Nun, the highest grossing entry in the juggernaut $2 billion Conjuring universe. Now in The Nun 2, it is 1956 France, a priest is murdered, and evil is spreading, and the sequel to the worldwide smash hit follows Sister Irene as she once again comes face-to-face with Valak, the demon nun. Thaisa Farmiga returns as Sister Irene, joined by Jonas Blocois returning as Frenchie, along with Storm Reed, Anna Popplewell, and Bonnie Ahrens, who reprises her role as Valak the nun. And this is all directed by Michael Shavs, who also directed The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the third installment in the Ed and Lorraine Warren Case Files movies, and also the director of The Curse of La Llorona from The Conjuring Universe. My guest, Michael Shavs, was here to talk about the opening movie, The Nun 2. Well, hey, it's great talking with you, and... Um really enjoyed the film. I I enjoyed the first none, but I'm really enjoying your work on this one. Uh, definitely spooky. And I was curious, from your perspective, how did you view this as building on that previous film? Certainly, we have kind of more of a family and community element here. But from your perspective, how did you view it?
0: Um, I thought it was just a great continuation of the characters. I, I really there was a lot of things. I mean, the f- number one thing that I loved is just the nun herself. I think that um, that Bonnie, the character James has created, Bonnie, the way what Bonnie's done with her and the vibe she gets, the performance she delivers is awesome. And um, I am such a huge fan of this, this series. I think she's my absolute favorite. So I just jumped at the opportunity. I, I thought this would be a blast. Um, beyond that, I just thought it was something great to continue the story of, of of Irene and I want to say Jonas Maurice. He has like three names. He starts as Frenchie, then we learn his name is Maurice. Obvious actor's name is Jonas. Um, I thought it was just great to like because I thought they had a really cool chemistry in that first film, and I I thought there was something really wonderful about that. Like he is just like he's a dog. He's flirting with a nun in training. There's something so like scandalous about that and. And, you know, they had this kind of connection and this chemistry that became a friendship and then he saves her life in the end of the movie and there's this life debt. And I just thought like, there's great stuff there and I, I want to see what happens with that. I want to see how to take that further and Kayla had a great script where that life debt is called upon and um, and Irene's called into action to, uh, to save her friend. And I just thought this was really emotionally compelling and there's something that I think fans who... You know, so many, there's so many fans of that first film. And I think that 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 was, uh, I I count myself as one of them. And, you know, I was was pulled along for the journey.
1: Well, the, and this may be getting under the hood a little bit too much, but, you know, it's what nerds do. We think about all the rules of the universe. You know, you have this demon, uh, Valak, who can really take any shape. And we understood why it might be blending in as a nun in the first film. But did you think at all about, Well, why does the I mean, obviously, aesthetically, from a movie perspective, Bonnie as the nun looks incredibly creepy as hell and is great. But why does this demon continue to stick around in the nun form when could just as easily be hanging out as a little schoolgirl?
0: It's a good question. And, you know, I think the the quick answer is habits are expensive and, and demons don't have a lot of money. So they, once she's invested in that known look, she's just got to keep it going. You know, it's like, you, you kind of have already bought into it. Um, <laughs> so sorry.
1: Demon, <laughs> demon cosplay tips, you know, once demon you, cosplay. once you commit.
0: Yeah, she's already, she's, you know, it's sunk cost, you know, she's like, you know, she can't, she can't unknown it. Um, no, it was. I think that there's great power in that character. And it's also, people love that character. It would be, because you've seen the movie, there's different um, manifestations that she has. And uh, I think that we have a lot of fun with that. The thing with that is, as much as people enjoy those things, and I'm very proud of them, I think that they're all very unique, um, people are always asking for more none. Even in this movie, I think that people have like, there's been kind of this, this, this desire of like, you know, it's like, oh, I wish we just had a little bit more Nun. The funny thing is, the reality with it, with it, and we've tested this movie, is there is a Nun limit. You have to like use it very sparingly. It's like Jaws. You cannot just be showing the shark from the very beginning, you gotta like, it's the wanting of seeing Valak, it's not seeing Valak, it's seeing her emerge out of shadows. It's like these little tasters are like, that's what what's makes it so effective.
1: Well, and there's this, it's not giving anything away because it's kind of teased in the um, one of the trailers, this kind of magazine gag, this very great moment that is spooky and then it leads to another element. I was, it, it's just so effectively done taking something fairly pedestrian like magazines and turning that into this nice horror composition. So talk about composing that and why you thought magazines are so scary, like,
0: well, I think it's like, it's the universal scares, you know, everyone's scared of the dark in magazine or print media. <laughs> it's the thing. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I think it was something where um, the, a lot of that came honestly, just from, from research. I was like, you know, I wanted to get the fifties right and you, you just really be authentic. And, you know, that, that's something that I, I just thought was really, I wanted to be transported into that time. This is a long-winded way of getting into answering the uh, the newsstand question. Did a lot of research, did a lot of like, um, there's a lot of street photography I went through, and I kept on seeing these newsstands. And it's something we don't, you don't see a lot of, uh, you don't see anywhere. I mean, it's like, it's, in, there's only a handful of newsstands in all of Los Angeles. And so it really stands out and you really like realize like, oh my gosh, this is something we don't have anymore. And so I just thought that's this kind of great street fixture of the, the time. And, and then I started looking at some other street photography. There's this photographer, I think René Maltet, who's this uh, French street photographer. And he'd always do these kind of visual trickery shots. Like there was, there was kind of a little bit of humor in them, but it's usually like the contrast of two different elements, or it's like things overlapping and kind of like just collage. Um, and I just thought like, oh, that's so cool. And it's, it's like uniquely French. And um, I just thought, well, is there a way to combine these things? And is there a way to, in the spirit of, of just seeing you know, faces in the environment and seeing, you know, having the, the nun always be kind of lurking in the, the shadows and in the environment. Is there a way to like manifest her in that? And, and then I just started, started thinking, okay, what about like a flip book? And like, what if the whole magazine stand is like a giant flip book or like all these individual flip books that are like working together and then just kind of building this like collage of, of like images that like kind of look like the nun, but not the nun. And it's like, this almost like shape-shifting, kind of two-dimensional image. It's like taking the shape. And I, I was just, and honestly, it's like, as you're saying it, it's like, it sounds really interesting, but then like the reality of like executing it, it's like that was quite a journey. And that was, there was one of the first ideas I had in the movie and it took like literally up until the end, we were like literally like cleaning up visual effects, like right into the end of that, the 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 length of making that movie. It was like just in the nick of time to finish that sequence.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's really effectively done. I. I'm also, I'm curious, well, you know, this is now sort of your third film within this Conjuring universe. And what is it about this, this universe that keeps you kind of coming back for more? And is it something that you want to continue to, the sandbox you want to continue to play in?
0: I I love this universe. I love this series. And I, you know, I, I think I said it before the screening last night. Um, I grew up watching horror movies. I love horror movies. Um, love New Line horror movies. Love James's horror movies. Um, I felt like I had seen everything, and then when I saw the first Conjuring, it was like watching a horror movie for the first time, and it totally just like hit me. In my God, I was terrified by that movie. I fell in love with that movie, um, and. It's something that I've seen with other people, and like that is such like a seminal like that is the Nightmare on Elm Street of this era, where it's like for me like I was like growing up watching this on VHS and like and so now it's like kids are growing up like their first horror movie is The Conjuring, or it's even like um like uh you know I mean it's even some of them mo- it's my movie like they're seeing for the first time and that's kind of just mind blowing that that's their introduction into to horror. And I I think it's such a privilege working in this space. I mean, I if I could time travel and and uh, work on the on the the Nightmare series, I would probably be doing that. And you would you couldn't get me out of there. I, I kind of feel the same way about about this space.
1: How, how do you think it kind of fits within the Conjuring universe timeline? Because of course, at the end of the first None, we kind of fit it right within the beginning of the first Conjuring and Valak continues to exist within this timeline. But you know, Maurice is now back and Maurice, you know, we kind of know what's going to happen to him. So how do you think it fits within that timeline now?
0: You know, de- definitely fit. We, there's definitely a timeline that um I think has been developed between the first and second uh, Conjuring movies. And the, one of the pivotal events uh, that kind of ties them all in is the the exorcism of Maurice, and um, which was obviously an exorcism that went wrong, and um, he ended up committing suicide, and uh, that was kind of this dark end to his character, and that is happens before the events of the first Conjuring, obviously after this film, after the first film, and obviously after this film. So that is a kind of a center point event that is. Um, uh, a lot of threads in the universe tied, tied
1: to. Yeah. We're kind of at this point with, you know, we have the Ed and Lorraine Warren characters that are in a way where they've become kind of bigger than even the, the factual, the real life characters. And now with the non-universe and Annabelle and everything, it, it's growing so many different tendrils. And then within this film, you also kind of create this timeline of, um, you know, there's connection between characters. So I guess what I'm getting at is could uh Irene and Lorraine Warren, the Tayusa and Avira, F- somehow be connected at some point in this universe?
0: Um, I think that's always been a uh, a speculation. I think there's there might even be elements for like really careful. Viewers who have the ability to freeze frame elements that they might even find answers within this movie. I'm not promising that. I'm just saying that it might be in there. Um, it's obviously their sisters in real life, and they have a uh, familial connection. The Conjuring movies are always about family. These are family stories, and um, if that was, I think they, there is a high possibility that that there's elements of that in this in this story.
1: I. Yeah, I think I caught one bit of it. Um maybe I won't say where, but I think I caught one thing that that referenced back. Uh it, it, well, I guess and on that note, I got to ask is there Annabelle hanging around somewhere in the background?
0: <laughs> Not in this film. She couldn't she couldn't get her visa. We were trying to get her out to France, but
1: uh <laughs> she can be she can be quite uh hellish to work with, I guess. The the uh, I, the funny thing about the first film was there was almost this religious reaction from people of the Catholic faith that was almost supportive of this film, of the first film, you know, there was elements to it that they're like, yeah, okay, we like to see this, this battle, good and evil. Have you gotten any kind of early reactions from people about the nun too? uh, That's like, Hey, look, I, you know, you you guys are doing the whole good versus evil thing and I'm on board and uh, you're pulling for some good stuff there. Good material.
0: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is we screened it for the Pope and the Pope loved it. He said this was the best film he's ever seen. And I mean that might be the thing, the title to put on. It's a, um, I was
1: no we I was didn't, really hoping, hoping to get a, a <laughs> I was hoping to get a pull quote for the promos, but now you can't compete with the Pope.
0: A pool quote. Uh, uh, a, a pool quote? A what
1: what quote? Well like a promo quote for the the promotions, you know. Aaron Sagers says, you know, it's hard to beat a bad habit, but the Pope always uh always wins out. I'm Pope
0: loves the film. Pope
1: yeah. loves the two thumbs up for the none too Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're running, we're down to the wire, running out of time. So I just I'm real curious oh, yeah. from <laughs> oh, to answer that question really quickly, let me get, oh. answer your question, honestly. I think that faith has always
0: been one of the, the big elements in this film, and these are stories where it's always good versus evil in the, like, most ancient sort of story, and, you know, that is, that's always a God versus, God versus the devil, and and is faith is the armor that these characters wear, and so, like, 100%, this connects to, like, in a big way to people of faith, and um, yeah. I, I would be, like, remiss. Sorry to make the Pope joke.
1: Oh, it's okay uh i won't let him know um the uh final question just i know you grew up in socal uh just like any local urban legends haunted houses like what was your creepy house at the end of the block or the the lore that you told amongst friends family whatever
0: um gravity hill which is this legendary place where your car it's like it the hill points upwards you drive your your car there and then it it actually like it goes in the opposite direction. Your car moves in the opposite direction if you put, push in neutral. That's like the worst way of explaining it. And then basically the reason is these like this school bus of kids like went off the, uh, the road and then it's their like ghost like presence yeah. that's pushing your car like away. Um, but it's funny because like, we were convinced that it was in one place and we went to another place and we were, like, there's all these different Hills. And we were like putting our car in neutral in uh, high school. Um, I don't even know exactly where, uh, where it really is, but, um, but that was like one of the, uh, the big, uh, I actually even wrote like a story about gravity Hill. Cause I always thought it was like such a cool, like name.
1: Yeah. I love it. Every, and it seems like every neighborhood has their gravity Hill or some story like that. Um, But uh, Michael, hey, we're out of time, but best of luck with the film. Had a great time watching it. And uh, I look forward to seeing more from you in the horror space and in the Conjuring universe. Oh, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. And that was Michael Shavs, the director of The Nun 2, which is opening September 8th. And folks, I saw it. And it is definitely creepy with some really striking aesthetics, but it's also a fun ride. And I think it's worth going out to the movie theaters to check it out. And trust me, I'm a big fan of movie theaters and cinema, so I'm saying go out there, see it, watch it, and get spooked out. It is spooky season after all. So that's The Nun 2 opening September 8th. And this episode, we also heard from listeners like you with their creepy stories, and I want to hear some more. Again, email TalkingStrange at DenOfGeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers. I have been your host, and this has been Talking Strange. Until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.